0: This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios' Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Friday evening reflecting into Scripture for Sunday. This is the third Sunday in Easter, a Sunday that has us engaging one of my favorite narratives, the road to Emmaus, or otherwise known as the walk to Emmaus. I am flying solo today, so if you have any questions, please do email me at -at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j-at-yahoo.com, or you can send me your uh, questions or comments, observations, whatever you have for me, uh, through my website. Just go to johocraft.org, and I certainly would gladly receive anything you have for me. Before we get into uh, the gospel narrative, I just thought I would offer up a few words in regards to Luke himself, and especially the opening to the Gospel of Luke. I just want to go back to the first four verses, read these verses, and then reflect upon them as they relate to the importance of the the much longer narrative that we will read. Uh, And again, these are the opening verses to the Gospel of Luke. He writes... Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. So as the commentaries make note, you know, Luke opens with a prologue and personal dedication. You know, stylistically, his gospel follows a conventional format that was used to you know, preface historical works in the Hellenistic world, the world that would have been his audience. So Luke likewise sets out to record history. But not as a stale collection of facts and figures, but as an evangelistic presentation of our Lord's life and mission. You know, we have this phrase, ordered account. Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. He thinks structurally, systematically. So he desires and wishes to present an order account. We're going to talk later in this program about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all scriptures. And I want to make note here that it is the Gospel of Luke that really is the first volume to his second volume, which is the book of Acts, that offers for us a sequential narrative that is not a narrative of some, again, stale facts, but one that is about a person who has and for, who will forever transform history. If you were to go into the Old Testament, you will find certain books that carry the narrative of salvation history: Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Book of Maccabees, and the New Testament. We have Luke and Acts. He carries the narrative. So when our Lord is talking about how he fulfills scriptures and he looks back into salvation history and says, it points to me, this is very important to Luke. He wants us to see how our Lord fulfills and at the same time transforms history. It's interesting, in that verse 4, that you may know the truth concerning the things of which you have been informed. That is where we get the word uh, catechesis or catechism. The Greek is katecheo, for informed, which literally means to instruct or teach orally. It is used eight times in the New Testament. And it is often linked with the early transmission of the gospel. So for uh, Luke, what he wants us to understand is that This is his catechesis. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he gives us a catechesis on the person of Jesus Christ. This evangelistic presentation of our Savior and Redeemer. So with that, let us turn our uh, Bibles to Luke 24. And the road to Emmaus is, let's see here, verses 13 to 35. 13 to 35, chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, and blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, who said, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen. What a beautiful gospel. Now off the top, what we can say as it relates to the reading that we just heard is, well, did you not hear that catechesis? We just talked about how Luke structures his gospel. He offers us this beautiful ordered account of his whole gospel. And here you have a kind of liturgical catechesis where Jesus Christ is teaching while uh, breaking the bread. He offers for us a catechesis on how he is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. So for Luke, he bookends his gospel with the stuff of catechesis. Truly, it's genius. You know, so what can we say of Emmaus itself? Emmaus was a Judean village uh, that we don't necessarily have on the map today. Uh, We see it cited in the the first book of Maccabees, chapter 9, uh, verse 50. But that really is it. And it is really uncertain, again, where it actually sits geographically. Emmaus is an Aramaic word that means hot spring. That being said, the Emmaus story of today's gospel lies at the heart of Luke's resurrection chapter. It focuses in on the two disciples on the road where we have the risen Lord interpreting the scriptures. And as you just heard in the reading, it is that narrative where we have that wonderful truth of the disciples recognizing our Lord in the breaking of the bread. Now, when we meet the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it is evening. And certainly we can say that the glow of that first Easter day has begun to fade. They are downcast and confused. They're making their way down the road, unable to understand all the things that have occurred. They know what they've seen. A prophet mighty in word and deed. They know what they were hoping for. That he would be the Redeemer of Israel. But they do not know what to make of his violent death at the hands of their rulers. I mean, let's think about it, my friends. The God-man was murdered. For the world, (laughs) this is probably the single biggest question. If it is not, does God exist? It is the question that we've been thinking about for 2,000 years. Speaking of questions... Our Lord has some questions for the disciples. I mean, why does Jesus ask questions? Does he not know? I mean, he says, What things are you talking about? Does Jesus not know what things they might be thinking about? What things that, that people have been talking about in relationship to his violent death? He knows. But by asking these two disciples, he wants them to take ownership. He wants them to think more critically about the events that have happened. And so to us, he asks us questions so that we might think more critically about the questions that we're asking and the events that surround us. You have heard me say in the past, if you go into the New Testament, over 300 questions does our Lord receive. And over 300 times does he respond to the question with a question. Only three times he doesn't. Why would he do this? Well, yeah, he's Raboni, He's master teacher. And this is what rabbis do. But as God, he wants us to go deeper into what it means, what it all means. The paschal mystery, the birth, life, death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his ascension, all of it. What does it all mean? He wants us to go deeper. You know, what is that great question if you go back into the book of Exodus during the 10 plagues and the last plague that, you know, the the angel of death comes and part of the prescription is that the the son on that fateful night, asks the question, you know, what is the meaning of this night? Now, we are to ask the question, what is the meaning of all of these events? And so he asks them, what things? So we ask, what does this all mean? These days are days of the resurrection, days of new life, days that are to give us uh, new hope, And so, as opposed to looking back with a glum face, we are to look ahead and look at the potential of of the yet unseen. I mean, for these disciples, the baggage of their doubt ultimately impedes the fervor of their faith, and they fail to recognize our Lord. I mean, how often do we let our own doubts and disappointments get in the way of the revelation of Jesus Christ and how he wishes to work in our own lives? We have to allow Jesus in. We have to let go of all of the baggage, of all of those hopes and expectations that are not rooted in truth. We need to study up on Jesus Christ and sacred scripture and 2,000 years of church history so that we may gain a better appreciation of how Jesus works in history, which is often paradoxical. And by paradox, I mean contrary to how we think typically, conventionally, contrary to expectation, how we typically think, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not what they expected. This is part of their confusion. And so we have to, to again, ask the deeper question and to allow the questions that Jesus asks of us in Scripture to have us going deeper in our faith. It is interesting to note how the quote-unquote stranger on the road to Emmaus takes this skepticism and curiosity of the disciples and weaves it into the very fabric of his own teaching, by challenging them to reinterpret the events of the past days in the light of scriptures. He says to them, what? Foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. The Messiah had to suffer and die in order to enter into his glory. Do you not know Isaiah 53? I am he, he says to us. (laughs) foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said do you not understand that i had to suffer and die in order to enter into glory do you not understand the mission that i had to i have to ascend to give you the gift of the holy spirit the holy spirit that is to be the protagonist of the church the gift that will restore you empower you embolden you do you not understand What he says to the disciples 2,000 years ago is what he says to us today. And this is one of the great lessons that our Lord has for us in the road to Emmaus. Now, an additional key point for us this evening is to note that Christ reveals himself in two modes. In the breaking open of scriptures and the breaking of the bread. In the liturgy of the word, And the liturgy of the Eucharist. What were those verses? That verse. Their eyes were opened when he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. Is this not exactly what Luke just recorded two chapters ago? It is the identical thing to what he did at the Last Supper. Oh, they would have recognized that, I'm sure. This was just a few days ago, it was two chapters in Scripture. But for them just three days ago right what could have been some of those things that he taught well he spoke of himself as the new moses and the fulfillment of the prophetic thrust in the old testament how about our lord as the new moses how are we to understand this well let us go into the life of moses let us juxtapose the two a little bit compare them here we have in the story of moses A wicked decree by the pharaoh that all hebrew male children under the age of two must die jesus himself where does this story start but a wicked decree from herod that all hebrew male children under the age of two must die we have a flight into egypt due to a dream from one named joseph in both the story of moses and our lord interestingly if you pay close attention Who's watching the basket float down the river? But Miriam, how about Mary there carrying Jesus into Egypt? Miriam being the Hebrew version of Mary. We have Moses delivering the people through the water. Of course, Jesus does this in baptism, that we are saved through the waters of baptism. Moses fasts for 40 days. Our Lord fasts for 40 days. Moses gives us the law on the mountain, the Ten Commandments. Jesus gives us the new law in the Sermon on the Mount. An important point on this matter, when you look at it closer, and I think it's very important for us as we talk about, you know, how Christ fulfills the new law, is how we think about law. Law in the Old Testament was synonymous with relationship. But remember that great prophecy in Jeremiah that I've been talking about recently on this radio program. The only time you see the New Covenant in the Old Covenant or New Testament in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, where the prophet Jeremiah is talking about the coming of the Messiah. And When he comes, the law will no longer be written on stone, but etched unto the heart, inscribed upon the heart. It's no longer about these external prescriptions as it relates to the rules of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all the rest. But now it's about this new sonship in Christ. So the, the, the Ten Commandments, while we still abide by their uh, principles, we are now given this new law. Structurally speaking, when you look at this as it relates to the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes and even the two great commandments, what you have is this uh, emphasis on putting God first. You look at the commandments, sequence is important, Right? The first three commandments are God first. And then you have the next seven commandments. What our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ looks like in light of putting God first. We are better formed and informed on what those seven commandments look like because we are in a relationship with God. The Beatitudes does the same thing. But of course, it puts the emphasis on being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Greek word there for spirit is pneuma, where we get the word breath, lung. We are to long for God the same way our lungs long for air. And once we long for God with our very being, then then we will better understand all of the other beatitudes. And this is what the two great commandments distill. This is what the two great commandments crystallize for us. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Once you love God first, then you will better understand how to love your neighbor as yourself. Law itself in the Hebrew, the Yadach, it is an archery term. It speaks to striking bullseye. We strike bullseye when we live according to the law, which is putting God first. Interestingly, Paul, when he talks about sin, he uses a word that translates this. What's the translation? (laughs) The opposite of it, to miss the mark. Sin literally means to miss the mark. Sin is disobedience. It's being outside of a living relationship with God. Okay. So this is what law is about. If you were to go to Luke 10, What do we read? But our Lord appointing 70 others, sending them out two by two into every town and every place where he himself was about to come. This, of course, is patterned after the missionary effort of who but Moses, who commissioned 70 to be prophets in Israel. Go to Numbers 11 verses 24 there. That's where you'll find that. In the story of Moses, we have the manna given to the people of God in the desert. Jesus Christ calls himself the new manna giving life. Moses was rejected by Aaron, the high priest, our Lord, rejected by Caiaphas, the high priest. One leads an exodus into a promised land, the other a new exodus, a new promised land. You know, Peter speaks of a set plan according to the father's design foreknown before the foundation of the world this is what christ is revealing to the disciples on the road i am a new and greater uh, moses i have come to fulfill every hope every dream this is what you are to understand so as we reflect into this we ought to see the importance Of interpreting the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old. This set plan that Peter talks about is what but typology. Remember what we've talked about in the past on this very important word. In Romans 5 14 Paul says Christ is a new Adam. In one you have the instrument that led to the uh, human instrument that led to the fall of grace and in the other the man who represents the restoration of grace. The word uh, type is in the Greek typos, figure, example, pattern. What Christ was teaching these disciples is that he is the fulfillment and that once he calls us to share in this, that we might be transformed in him. So understanding the resurrection, therefore, implies a twofold process of knowing the message of the scriptures and experiencing the one about whom they all speak of, Jesus the Lord, and that they come to understand this at its deep, deepest level in the breaking of the bread. What did the disciples say? Stay with us. Stay with us. So he does. Now, though he has vanished from our sight, In the Eucharist, as at Emmaus, we know him in the breaking of the bread. Now, as we reflect into this beautiful gospel, we are to see this journey motif on a more personal and deeper level. Because there is more than a distance between Jerusalem. There is more in this narrative. It is more than just about a distance between Jerusalem and Emmaus but a gradual journey of words that must descend from the head to the heart. It is of a coming to faith, of a return to a proper relationship with a stranger who is none other than Jesus the Lord. The Lord always listens to us. The Lord is always there. Again, it is part of the Lord's teaching style with regards to his disciples to always listen to them especially when times are hard. When one has fallen into doubt, disillusionment, and frustration, he will ask of us that poignant question, who do you say that I am? And after he listens to us, he will respond. And his words will make our hearts burn within us, removing the darkness of sadness and desperation, provoking within us that cry Stay with us, Lord. It is fitting that in a story that is entitled The Walk or Road to Emmaus, Emmaus meaning hot spring, that he would give us words that replenish us and words that leave us on fire for God. Indeed, my dear friends, we are all on a journey where we are to seek the words and bread of eternal life that are like that of a hot spring. Amen. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth heard every evening from 6 30 to 7 p.m. right here on kkxx if you have questions or feedback you may email joe at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com for a copy of today's program visit joeholcraft.org or call kkxx during regular business hours at 894-7325 thanks for listening to the seeds of truth on kkxx